You're listening to The Martial Brain, the podcast that explores the intersection between the martial arts, science, critical thinking, skepticism, and that wacky organ that floats inside our skulls in a pool of cerebral spinal fluid, making life unpredictably inspiring, infuriating, and sometimes just batshit crazy. I'm Jeff Westfall for The Martial Brain. The Kicker's Dilemmas, Part 2 Last time, I explained that kicking techniques present several dilemmas for the beginning martial artist. The first is that if a beginner tries to kick hard, they frequently lose their balance. I also told you that all kicking techniques have three parts. The initiation, the contact, and the recovery. The bulk of the last episode consisted of a description of how technique and training help maintain balance during the initiation of the kick. Today I'll describe the challenges to a kicker's balance during the last two parts of the kick. After initiation comes the second part, contact and energy transfer. This part of the kick introduces a new challenge. This results from the fact that when you strike any physical object, you make yourself subject to the physics of collisions. When two objects collide, regardless of whether both or only one of them is moving, the kinetic energy of the collision travels both ways. In other words, whatever you hit, essentially, hits you back. This backwash of kinetic energy can injure you, but more on that in the next episode. Pertinent to my point right now is that this energy can knock you, the kicker, backwards, or even cause you to fall down. This happens especially with linear kicks like side kicks and teeps. Teep is the word that Muay Thai uses for a thrusting front kick. Acquiring the skill of properly handling this reverse energy flow requires learning to squat lower on the base leg and to thrust your hips a bit more towards the target, almost as if beginning to go into the splits. This turns your two legs into a structure that more closely resembles a grounded pike or spear from pre-industrial warfare. You see, if you are on foot and facing a charging horseman, one of your best tactics at least before the advent of gunpowder, was to take a long, stout spear, jam its butt end into the dirt, plant one foot on the butt end to hold it in place while you hold the pointy end aimed at the center of the horse's mass. This works especially well in mass formation. Even if the humans riding the horses are foolish enough to try to charge a mass of pikemen, the horses have eyes and can see the spear points and are far too intelligent to run into a hedge of stoutly braced pikes. Getting back to your linear thrusting kick, if you drop your center of gravity into a partial one-legged squat while thrusting your hips a bit forward towards the target, your two legs make a shape that is closer to a braced pike than the shape they made before. The reverse kinetic energy of your kick travels from the target up the kicking leg, through the hips, and down the supporting leg into the earth, where your foot is braced. Another aspect of balance in kicking at the moment of contact becomes apparent when that moment doesn't happen. In other words, 
you must be prepared for the occasions when you fail to make contact. There exists a particular set of skills for dealing with this situation. Their development requires disciplined preparation through training and the development of your ability to do some guesswork. When you miss with a punch, you're still on two feet. And even with that, I've seen more than a few boxers stumble after failing to connect with an especially hard punch. But when you miss with a kick, things get much more dicey. This can be especially true of fighters who fail to put in the requisite amount of practice at kicking in the air without hitting a target. It's easy to grow reliant, even addicted, to only kicking bags and pads. This is because, first, it's more fun to kick solid objects. And second, the target absorbs much of the kinetic energy of the kick, reducing momentum and making it much easier to keep your balance. This can lead to an emotional dependence on always hitting real physical objects with your kicks. But if you resist putting in the appropriate amount of training time kicking in the air, you are literally setting yourself up for a fall. As I said earlier, in addition to training, being ready to miss with a kick also requires some guesswork. Very few veteran boxers or kickboxers use full power each time they strike. This is because they are wise enough to reserve full commitment only for the strikes that will be most decisive. The reasons why you might strike with less than full power include the desire to change the speed and rhythm of a combination, the desire to reduce the chance of injuring the striking limb, or the desire to reduce the chance of losing your balance. That last one is the one we're concerned with here. If you guess that there's a significant chance that your kick might miss, you'll be less likely to commit full power to it. But kicks, being the heavy artillery of kickboxing, have power to spare. So a less than fully committed kick can still serve you well, doing significant damage, and well worth the adjustment in delivery. There are a number of techniques for dissipating the momentum of a kick that misses, and they have to be practiced to be useful. One is to retract the kicking leg into a cocked position, while hopping the base foot in the direction that the momentum is carrying you and at the same time, landing with your body tilted so that your hips are again closer to the opponent than your head. Another method applies specifically to Muay Thai-style round kicks that are on or close to a horizontal plane. The method is what I call riding the momentum, and consists of allowing the angular momentum of the kick to spin you around, then planting the kicking foot on the ground, before continuing the rotation while standing on it, and finally finishing facing the opponent with the original supporting leg lifted into the position of a leg shield block. A third method uses the concept of the moment arm that I described earlier. This is difficult to describe effectively in an audio format, but suffice to say that you keep the kicking leg mostly extended as a moment leg, if you will, while executing a sharp reversal of the rotation of your core. Each of these methods can also be useful as part of indirect attacks, which could also be called your faking game. Few things attract the attention of a counterattack specialist, like a kicker who appears to have just missed. So if you can do a good imitation of a kicker who has just missed, while really being in control of your balance, 
you can execute some sweet setups to take that counterattack specialist by surprise. The third phase of the kick is the recovery. This is the process, after your kick makes contact, of regaining a structure from which you can either move or fire another attack. Recovery presents yet more new challenges to the kicker's balance, and there are a number of ways to handle it. The simplest one is to put your kicking foot back on the ground, ideally in a sensible stance. There are variations of this, some of which retain your lead, or which foot is in front. Others switch it. Some move you forward. Some move you backwards. Some don't move you at all. Yet another way to recover from a kick is to cock or chamber your kicking leg, bending the knee tightly without putting the foot on the ground. This method of kick recovery is prevalent in many styles of kicking, including in the Bill Wallace method, and it takes a great deal more training than the simpler act of putting your foot back on the ground. It's also harder to generate power from this position but it does allow for rapid combinations of kicks for those who are properly trained. If you are one of them, you can stand on one leg with the other leg cocked in precisely the right position, a position from which your opponent can't tell whether you'll kick high, low, or to the middle, or from the right, the left, or up the center. This particular structure was my favorite through most of the 80s and early 90s. As a matter of fact, I was so reliant on rechambering my leg after kicking that it caused me some trouble. You see, one day I was training with my Muay Thai instructor, Ajarn Chai, who was holding tie pads for me to kick. Now, I was still fairly new to Muay Thai at this time, and I kept recocking my leg after kicking the pads, pausing, and only then replacing the foot on the ground. Ajarn Chai wanted me to eliminate this intermediate step by placing the foot directly on the ground from the pad, and he told me so. The reason he wanted me to learn this lesson was the fact that recocking your leg does leave you standing on one leg for a longer period of time, leaving you vulnerable to a number of bad things that a well-trained opponent might do to you. So, after Ajarn Chai admonished me, I dutifully said, Yes, sir fully intending to follow his instruction. But my body had a mind of its own. So muscle memory, that was the product of countless repetitions, caused me to recock the leg again, despite my intention. Sir, Ajarn Chai calls everyone sir or ma'am, put your foot back on the ground right away. Yes, sir, I once more replied. I tried again, thinking I was doing better. But the next thing I knew, I was lying on my back with Ajarn Chai standing over me. He had kicked my supporting leg out from beneath me as I still, at least, had partially and slightly recocked my leg after kicking the pads. I told you twice, sir, he said, standing over me. These two methods are not the only ones for recovery from a kick. The technique that I described earlier in which you use your extended leg as a moment arm to regain your balance after missing with a kick, can also be used quite satisfactorily to recover from a kick that strikes the target as well. This technique is part of the proper execution of the hopping kicks of Muay Thai, or even other offensive techniques like the Superman punch.
Another important aspect of kick recovery is that the interval between contact with the target and the completion of the recovery is arguably the part of the kick when you are most vulnerable to a counterattack. The better your technique and balance during a recovery, the quicker it becomes, reducing the size of that window of vulnerability. So, if you can consistently keep your balance during the initiation, contact, and recovery of a powerfully thrown kick, you can with credibility call yourself a kicker. If you can't, I suspect that you already know the answer to your dilemma. It's diligent training, preferably with the help of a competent instructor. The journey begins with a single kick. Anyway, that's what I think. But I could be wrong. Let me know what you think, and check out old episodes of the Martial Brain Podcast at my website, rpmartialarts.com. I'm Jeff Westfall for the Martial Brain. The Martial Brain is produced by Raging Squirrel Productions in association with the Rising Phoenix Martial Arts Academy. If you like the podcast and would like to help it grow, go to iTunes or Stitcher and give it an honest rating and review. Contact me with questions about the Martial Brain or about the Rising Phoenix Academy at my website, rpmartialarts.com.